Mote. Yakana Hey. Welcome to season two. Yes, you heard us right. Tiny, they ready? I don't think they are ready yet. Yeah, we are with the new season with new guests from across the continent sharing the most inspiring entrepreneur journeys. We got Libya, Zimbabwe, Ghana, and so much more. Welcome to season two of a series of AMS. Mbote, my name is Binja, hailing from the heart of Africa, the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I'm so excited to have you here with me is my co-host, my baby boo. Patience. Hey girl, hey. Nakwaba, Jumbo. It's your girl Tiny, hailing from the beautiful Lone Star Republic of Liberia, located on the coastline of West Africa. It's West Africa in the building. Thank you. So we want to welcome you all to a series of AMS, a show about entrepreneurial women in Africa. On this podcast, we celebrate tastemakers in business who are continually innovating, empowering those around them and slaying in style. Why? Because we are all more than one thing. We demystify what it takes to start, grow, and run successful businesses and organizations across the continent. We talk to boss women of all backgrounds, from CEOs, business owners, policy makers, uh, analysts, taste makers, influencers, the whole nine yard. Okay, we're talking about African girl magic queens in this piece right here. Hey, today's guest is Amanda Etuk. Amanda is the co-founder of Messenger, an order fulfillment and last mile delivery company in Abuja, Nigeria. They offer end-to-end logistics and supply services for entrepreneurs, corporate organizations, private individuals, and SMEs across the country. We are excited to chat with this entrepreneurial queen. So welcome to a series of Anne's Amanda. We are so excited to have you. Thank you so much. I've been following your work. So I'm a huge fan of a series of Anne's. I've seen like the artwork. I'm just like, oh, when can I get my own cool art picture like that? So I've been looking at them just like sideline <laughs> both of you. I just said, okay, okay, soon. So I'm really excited to be here. Oh my goodness. We And we are so excited to have you. Um, as we said, we have been watching and we have done some little cyber stalking to be ready for this conversation. And we know that there's so many women, so many men who are looking to answer the question, where are the women? When we get asked all the time, where are the African women? Here she is, y'all. Here she is. So let's start right at the very beginning, Amanda. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Give us a little bit of a taste in terms of who Amanda Etuk is. Thank you. So I'm just trying to put together who I am right now. So when people ask, I always pause because I'm just like, how, how do I begin to say what I really am? So I'll just start with the easy bit. So my name is Amanda Etuk. I was born in a small town called Makodi, Benue State, Nigeria. My background, my educational background is in pharmacy. So I'm a pharmacist and then I went on to study global supply chain and logistics management. So I found my passion in logistics and supply chain. And I would say that a new dream that I have, something that Ben just said is, you know, she has found out some more things I've done. So a new dream that I've come up with is that I want um, after that's the Africa Free Trade Zone Agreement to be actualized in my lifetime. You know, and that ties into what Messenger does, uh, moving mm-hmm. business products across, you know, a- across cities. So right now we're just in Abuja, 
but we see ourselves expanding mm-hmm. if after is a is a real deal in our lifetimes that would be great for messenger great for other africans and especially people who are involved in trade so mm-hmm. that's something that i want to do um so yes i'm a very passionate person mm-hmm. very passionate about a lot of things and causes you would find me championing one thing or the other but one thing that has really stuck is connecting people helping people um getting people to where they need to be if it's mm-hmm. even the health sector where i worked so really i think my life goal is to be an enabler so that's that's where i am you know what binja like this excites me so much when i hear like just the amazing things that our special guests like are doing across the continent i also love the fact that she's done this mix where you know usually when you ask somebody to present themselves or to introduce themselves people always start with this is what i do right and i i do appreciate the fact that you gave us a mix between this is what i do and this is who i am because i think you're an amalgamation of both of those things right you saying you do you're you know a former pharm- pharmacist and now you are co-founder of messenger but you also are striving to be an enabler and that is kind of like the purpose that you 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 feel like you have here i think it's very very inspirational to take away that you're not a sum total of all the things that like you have done especially on the professional setting right because some people are great professionally but they're terrible humans and i do love the fact that you really do infuse that interpersonal nature with within you know your purpose of who amanda is so amanda let's let's take it all the way back to when amanda was about 5 years old what did amanda get in trouble for Ah, Amanda's always had an issue with authority. So you can't tell Amanda what to do because why she said that. So you have to tell her why. You have to tell her why or it's not going to get done. You might find me up there where you asked me not to. You have to really explain to me all the time. You might break your leg. As a child, I was very afraid of having wounds. It's such a silly thing. but So there was an easy way to get me not to do something. You had to tell me why. I wanted, I was so curious. It's just, You know when you grow older you're able to manage your curiosity. I and then I'll ask visitors a lot of silly questions. I think yes, I used to get in trouble for that. <laughs> I always say this. Uh I think it's Aristotle or Socrates, one of these um philosophers philosophers said, um curiosity is a habit. You know, it's something that you develop. You're not just born curious. It's something that you continue to develop and it for me when you say like you're somebody who asks questions, it it triggers that in my head where you have all these curious kids who are always asking the questions you're being told ah you can't ask this why would you talk like this nobody asked you all of those people are somebody's boss today that's all i'm saying all those people are somebody's boss today because you were curious you were able to put yourself out there right from when you were young just thinking back in off of your response and also what benja just highlighted a little bit you know you enter a field and we'll dive deeper later on into the show you know supply chain just global supply chain management and logistics you know in general is heavily mill dominated and mm. i'm so curious to find out like you know it takes a lot of you know like like you said curiosity leadership you know to really step into that role and also front face it which is what you're doing with your own company um so i'm wondering like as a kid like did any of your relatives or your community or your family would ever ever thought or imagine you stepping into such a leadership boss like role you know that you currently have within your own company i think from like the very beginning i've kind of been expected to be in the leadership positions like it's been a thing mm. like it's it's 
almost expectation. So no pressure from them. It's just people have always expected it. So it's from my mm-hmm. like right secondary school. Like I remember her now. We used to have a matron because I was in boarding school, and she would say, mm-hmm. "You'll be one of those women in the league of Ngozi Okonjo-Iweala and Dora Koenli, my Amazon." So I've always been in that sort of leadership position or putting myself in front. I've never been mm. one worried about speaking publicly. Um, so yeah, I've always courted mm. actually. So for me, it's not strange. What's strange is supply chain. Oh, mommy, I want to be a supply chain manager. Said no child ever. So, so like nobody ever wants it. It's so funny to me, but it's the truth. Like it's not something, it's not a glamorous career. Nobody's going to say, oh, I want to be a supply chain manager when they're six years old. So it's not something that comes up. It's when... So for me, really, was you know, as I grew older and I was looking for opportunities, and it just occurred to me, it's something we've always done, but we've never called it supply chain and logistics. It's just more like every pharmaceuticals, food, um, e-commerce, textiles, fashion. So how do you do? How do you do it in a fancy way that separates you from you know any other company? How do you differentiate? So now you have so many people doing things but what you notice you might not even say oh i love this product i got on amazon you would notice oh i love how they packaged it and how quickly it got to me you'll be more upset if a really good product got to you longer than you expected it to than if a bad product came through in a nice packaging because that's part of it as well and then it's packaged properly it came on time it was delivered in a very fancy manner clean the the, this, the personnel was very polite to so you would remember that and if you didn't like the product like well I, I, I like their service but you know maybe they can do better with this but if it's perfect and it gets to you two weeks late you're going to be on instagram when we cussing them out so I said, okay, this will be valuable regardless of where I work or where I decide to go into. Amanda was like, I'm going to be the CEO that my parents wanted me to marry, okay? Y'all going to post on this. Period. Oh, my name. It's so funny, Amanda, when you just mentioned, like, no kid ever said, mother, father, you know what? I've decided what I'm going to do for my life. I want to work in logistics, supply chain management. And it's so funny. It takes me back to my own sort of career path. I remember sitting down with my mom when I was ready to, you know, go into college and what I wanted to do. And they asked me, everybody was waiting for me to go to medical. They wanted me doctor. I said, did you ever see me do anything to help people in life? And I was like, I was like, you know, I want to be an international development practitioner. I want to work, you know, this place, that. But so my mom said, you know, African mother is so dramatic. My mom said, ha! So I protected you from a war zone and brought you to freedom. Eh? Why your mates are working for Fortune 500 companies? You, you want to take yourself? You're gonna go live in Sudan eh? in the middle of war. <laughs> I was like, yes, mother. <laughs> So no child ever says yes, puts me on the front line in the war zone. That's me where, where I want to go make my money. So let's transition into um, your secondary uh, schooling. So tell us a little bit about where you went to high school. Um, was it in Lagos or was it elsewhere in um, sort of in uh, Nigeria? And, you know, what were some of pivotal moments within, you know, your secondary schooling that truly, like, affirm your decision to in leadership you know in taking leadership you know opportunities and roles okay so for me um secondary school was very character building um so i i joked about this like when you had big eyes until i went to like 
in secondary school because the kids are mean. Little things like that. So it was in secondary school that I went to stand up for myself. It might seem trivial now, but it really built me to be a stronger person. And a lot of people that I remember who are my favorite people are from that time in my life. So then it looked like it was it was hell. But now I can say, oh, my favorite teacher, Mr. Okay, he was such a great um, inspiration to me. So I've always liked to write. And then that's when I really started to hone that skill, um, speaking as well. So he, I, I like to, yes, I was very intelligent, but I, I, I was one of those people who would like slink away from doing things. Like I, I was lazy. I was a talented but lazy child. And then there was this teacher that was like, no, you're doing this. You're joining the debate society. Okay, come, you're giving a presentation here. So it was always in me. He forced it out. You know, I would say he forced it out of the moment give a presentation on this and then this is in front of people i, I wouldn't have had time to practice you know i'm talking about him now and it's it's, it's really nice it's a warm party feeling like he was always pushing me then i would hate it just handling adversity you know high school is hard so just being able to manage learning to understand that you know sometimes people can be um, stereotyped in buckets and for me it was very hard to do that i, I wasn't typically one of the smart kids how you know everyone had that smart kids corner or you're one of the cool kids so learning that I could be you know multi-dimensional it was no need to really put me in a box so that was how secondary school was for me very fond memories my best friend is still my best friend now that's like one really good thing that I got out of it oh I love that see I, I honestly feel like you know regardless of how we slice it up, there's something about those high school years that are so fundamental to who we become as people, you know, like something as trivial as you saying, oh, that's when after all my years of having eyes that I found out my eyes were big. And it wasn't like in a positive way, like, oh my God, you have beautiful doe eyes. It was like, ah, see the girl with the big eyes. And it's like, it either is going to build up your character and you learn how to stand up for yourself, or it literally breaks you down and you have a complex about it, you know? And I honestly always talk about it on this podcast where I talk about the influence and the impact of having really, really good teachers, especially in that high school period. Because again, those are the same people who will either tear you down or will boost you up in terms of your confidence. I can't even imagine the value of having somebody believe in you more than you believe in yourself at that age. You know how that translates into you becoming the type of CEO, co-founder, leader that you have become today. Because a man in high school, a teacher in high school said, you know what? Go ahead and give that presentation. You're like, I'm not ready. But he still threw you out there consistently. But I also believe that he probably saw something in you that continually rose to the challenge because you can only do so much of that kind of, you know, throwing people out there um, into the unknown with, with different types of people. But he probably saw something in you that you didn't even know was in yourself that allowed him to put you in those situations, knowing full well that he knew you were going to be fine at the end of the page, at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. And I'm so glad that he did because now you're even talking about it with such fond memories because you can see the through line of how all of those experiences have brought you here into this incredible co-founder today. So anyone who still shades on education, I think this is like a prime example of how that literally impacts you as an adult in everything that you do. It follows you. 
Um, so let's talk a little bit about your parents. I feel like we haven't really talked about who they were um, and what they did, if you have any siblings. And the reason I asked before we get into university is because I'm a firm believer in you're a product of your environment. Yeah, there's a lot of nature and nurture conversations, but especially in Africa where families are such closed-knit units, in most cases, I do not want to generalize, but in most cases where families are a closed unit, um, it's always fascinates me to know like what type of family unit you come from. Um, are your parents together? Were you raised separately? Like, are you a daddy's girl? Are you, are you a mommy's girl? Like, what was that dynamic for you? Did your parents challenge you or were they continually telling you to be quiet <laughs> when you had guests in the house? Like, talk to us a little bit about what your family unit was like. Okay, so um, I would say that one of the remarkable things about my parents is that my parents had a genuine love story. So there was a lot of love in our house. And you know that was something that you know, kind of shaped how I went into the world. One key thing mm. I took from my parents was just going into the world with optimism. My mother was Muslim mm. from um, Kogi State. And then my father was Christian from Akwaibong. So they were from very separate like upbringings and even like mm-hmm. social classes, all of that, very different. And one thing I learned from them was just always telling the truth and just mm. approaching each situation with integrity. So that's one thing that I would say that my parents did for me. So my mother mm. was, you know, she, she did a bit of business, but mostly she was a housewife. And my father did all the work. And he was a civil servant at the time. Mm. So he retired just very recently. My father was someone who always had ideas. He was the idea man. That's something I, I gained from him. So he was one of the one of the pioneer people to bring in like like all that um, satellite TV into like the national broadcasting. So my dad was always like that. He was never an entrepreneur, but he was mm. constantly um, looking for new ways to do his job. Like anywhere I go, it's almost like the mm. work is not enough. You have to sort of expand on that. So that's I think that's where I get it from. That's how I learned how to just expand on things. Like I would just not be satisfied with just the normal thing that's okay there's more okay can we do this so i i think that's one yeah thing i got from my childhood yeah so if you've met me mm. just like Ben just said i've done a lot in the last time that we actually spoke so one day i can come to my parents and say oh, oh hi daddy i want to be a new starter like oh, okay no problem you take me to <laughs> someone's office and leave me there for a week and i'm like mm, I don't, i'm not sure I'm not, I'm not sure about this. Oh, hi, mommy. I think I want to learn how to Right. Sew. Okay, no problem. So they always helped me in particular explore mm. all the things that I wanted. It was a lot. And now I'm looking at them. I'm like, oh, mm. I, I hope I can do this for my own children. Mm. You know, if I have any in future, I wanted to do something new. <laughs> so there was never, you know, like a rebuke <laughs> about it or, you know, don't do this. So. I think that's something you know commendable. Mm. So thanks, parents. They nurtured your curiosity, even though they were still African parents in the sense that, like, are you a child? Why are you talking in this forum? When you do present something that you're interested in, half the time, like African parents will be like, a newscaster, what money will we get from that? My friend, sit down and go and find a science book so that you can go and become a doctor, you know? But the fact that they're actually able to do what they can with what they have, if they have the connection there, they took you there. And I think the word that you use that I appreciate is patience. You know, a lot of times with the way Africa is just 
the energy, the environment we're in. Patience is not something that is endemic to us, so to speak. And so for them to be able to just say, hey, today is weather, tomorrow you want to be business, tomorrow you want to be tailor. Okay, I think that was a reflection of, of their understanding of life. Life is not lived in a straight line, you know? If life was lived in a straight line, all of us African kids would have gone to be doctor, lawyer, teacher, you know, we would have all just gone in the direction of our parents' dreams and that would have been it. But I, I love the fact that your parents in how they taught you how to live life showed you that life isn't lived in a straight line. Even you, even your path, right? You said you were a pharmacist and we'll, you'll talk about, about that going now into your college years. And then you ended up in logistics, right? So why don't we actually make that segue into your um, college years where we can actually talk a little bit more about how that through line follows here as well, where, where did you go to university? Where did you study Miss Pharmacist? Outside of that, if it's just pharmacy, sure. But like, what else happened while you were there? Give us all the juice, all the tea. So I studied pharmacy at the University of Lagos. Um, I'm a licensed pharmacist. But I've worked in community pharmacy. I've actually even worked in regulations, you know. And then I decided that I wanted something different. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I wanted to be more of a generalist. I wanted to be able to be in those boardrooms. I hadn't really seen a uh, pharmacist representation of what I wanted to be. That's why for me it was important to do that postgraduate. And then again, I didn't want something that was skewed towards the health sector. I wanted fast moving consumer goods. That was my initial focus. Work, even at other, you know, unrelated sectors. And then that was it. I found the University of Sussex and I would say I did have a really good time. It was in Brighton in the UK and it was it was nice. So the program came with um, working at GSK in Belgium. I, I didn't end up going because, you know, Nigerian passports. But I would, I'm, I'm trying to be as honest as possible. So you, um, Africans, Africans face a lot of discrimination for work opportunities, even if you might be the perfect candidate because of, you know, restrictions, all of that. So that was something that I encountered and it was a blessing in disguise. I would have loved to be in Belgium. But what then happened was that I moved to London for the remainder of the time. And it's not just about the learning within a classroom. It's about getting to live within it, you know, within a certain environment, exploring and actually just enjoying yourself. What's the work-life balance there? I know people hate, you know, everything is grind, grind, grind. But you need to know an enabling environment. Did I have a happier life there? Like, those are things to really consider. People you meet the connections that you can make. I, I think that those things are very crucial. You know, I'm not an academic advisor, but I would just say that it's it's very important to look um, at things outside of just academics to make a decision on you know, what schools you should go to or if you have children, what schools they should go to. It's not just that. So, A hundred percent agree. Hey, patience, are you hearing? I, I really like this. This is really, really good. Those are some good gems, especially when you're a high schooler trying to find what to do next. So thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. I think you stated it really correctly. A lot of times we're so academic focused going to our you know college years and especially coming from our continent, our culture, you know, education is ingrained mm. in you and we forget the other, the other aspect of the experiences that also helps you be well-rounded. Yeah. 
individual yeah. or a woman. And that these are experiences that you can take into the real world. These are experiences you take into your various industry that you work in. So it's important to, like you said, have that school life balance where it's important to focus on the grades, but at the same time, are there other things you can experience? Are there other ways you can expose yourself and expand your horizon, your knowledge, so that you can get the best out of your college you know, experience? So so sticking on the college experience a little bit, was there a specific course that you took um, within, you know, that academic period that really um, expanded your knowledge on business and entrepreneurship that made you believe like, yo, this might be a Dunton um, field, even though I'm studying chemistry, but I can take some of the things I learned from this side and apply it to what I want to do, you know, or, what, or where I foresee myself career wise. Okay, so one course that stood out for me that is applicable in life and almost everything is um, negotiation. Mm. So I had a course on negotiations mm. and the learnings I've taken from there are things that I still use in my day-to-day life. So um, because right. you, you also have to infuse your perspective into your dealing so it doesn't come across like you're mm. acting or something. So one of the things I gained from negotiation is learning to expand the pie. If you notice in everything I've said is I'm creating more opportunities. So sometimes it's not just A or B or left or right. It, or there, mm. there's more gray areas. So in every conversation, in every agreement, that you should look for more ways that it could benefit you, benefit the other person. So if you're mm. trying to buy a house, like I don't even want to go into like real estate, but if in like business negotiations, like you're trying yeah. to partner with someone, it's not always about the money. So sometimes yeah. there are more values that you can get out of the situation. Sometimes, especially true, if true. you're a startup, the validation or the credibility of being linked with a certain brand. Mm. Um, sometimes it's not just about what's the value of the transaction just in terms of Naira and couple or you know, dollars and cents. It's more like, yeah. can I leverage on this opportunity for more opportunities? Yeah. For a lot of people that might have said no to me at some point, I'm keeping the relationship. So, you know, trying to find other ways that we can work together. Um, so just this afternoon, mm. we made a valuable introduction. You know, okay, mm. so I can't invest in you, but okay, opportunity with one of our portfolio companies. So right, I, I think right. that being able to see yes or no um, yeah. helps because they're like, okay, this is a very you know similar business to what you've invested in, but I think that mm-hmm. the opportunity partner, this is how I think we can do this. And like, oh, okay, that's a great idea. Um, I didn't think about it in that way. So we're not giving you cash. Yeah. It's widening my horizon and my thinking into just yes or no. It's always okay, yes or no. Okay, but can I have that other thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perspective is everything because I feel like um, you're you're speaking all our language. Like right now, I'm I'm in like a couple of startups as well, and half the time you you forget that a connection might yield ten x what this dollar amount you were looking for would yield at the end of the day because this door that you've opened that person could know the next 10 clients you have and because you didn't shut them down based on the fact that they didn't come with a specific dollar amount tied to their offer now you've closed yourself off to the next 10 clients you would have potentially been dealing with so i totally agree with with that um observation and i i do appreciate the fact that like you going to uni and you being able to kind of expand your horizons got you that perspective because I know right now it's helping you with messenger and we can delve into that a little bit more as well. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's important to to understand, especially as entrepreneurs in the startup phase, hungry, you know, for 
you know, when you're hungry to build your business and expand it, you know, in every relationship count, sometimes it's not going to materialize instantly. And like what Ben just said, it might take five years down the road before you actually start to see some of the relationships that, you know, you've built start to materialize into real, you know, real uh, business opportunities, real profits. So don't ever be discouraged when you're, you know what I'm saying, like building these relationships and these rapport or, or tapping into these opportunities you're not seeing the results immediately don't don't give up and say okay well i didn't see it today it's not happening for me today i don't see anything tangible and then you ignore that and like what ben just said you end up closing out closing the door to something that could you know expand later on so it's important for that patience and that resilience and that perspective like what amanda just said um it's part of your ingredient and formula in in running your your, your business no matter how small it is so i just want to add that piece absolutely Absolutely, absolutely. That's such a gem right there. So Amanda, let's talk a little bit about your actual work life, right? So we've talked about you in, in high school. We've talked about you at both the University of Lagos and the University of Sussex. Then you said you transitioned into London. Then at which point did you come back home? And what was that transition from being away for school in London, having, you know, the opportunities that you had, all the different abilities to, to kind of learn new things while you were away? How did that transition back, coming, coming back home into Nigeria, um, how was that for you? Let's talk about that um, for a little bit and then get into the work life. For some weird reason, I've always been very sure that I was supposed to move mm. back home. I've been sure that I'm supposed to leave in mm. Nigeria. So that's mm. one. Three weeks to my trip, then I started to say, okay, can I change my flights? Can I do this? So I, I started to panic closer to the time. Mm. But I was always really certain I was supposed to go back mm. home. It never occurred to me not to go back home. So I, I think that coming home to be a leader, mm. that it's, it's never really occurred to me to live outside Nigeria. I'm just going to say this. I, I feel like I do have work to do here. Yeah. I know that that might sound strange in, you know, in the midst of all the problems that we're having, but it's one of the things that I'm very certain about mm. that I should be here and I should be building here. Mm. That's kind of like the future that I always imagined for myself. Yeah. That was one. So I came back and it, it, it was a bit like the let down at mm -hmm. first, but I was very determined to find work. Mm. I told myself I'm going to rest for a month. I'm not going to do anything for mm -hmm. a whole month. And I started looking for work mm. next. And, and I just, I, I had a list. Mm. And surprisingly, I had one on my mm. list. And I my friend, I was like, oh, do you know anybody at this point? I want to work mm. there. I said, why? <laughs> I just said, I don't know. I think that it would be a good thing to right. me. That's weird. She was like, oh, I know one of my colleagues just to that company. So it was kind of interesting, like, because... I didn't know much about insurance mm. before then. And I just thought, okay, I want to work here. And for me, what was really interesting about it is that I got to uh, marry the health sector and logistics. Right. So at the time, right. I was working for a health insurance company. Mm. We were piloting delivery of chronic medications directly to the enrollee. Mm -hmm. So setting up a network for deliveries, um, having their hypertensive meds, their mm. diabetes medication, mm. um, either from pharmacies, the health centers to them, or directly to their home. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So had to build out a database of pharmacies across the area and then find logistics partners to help us deliver to those um, you know, enrollees and patients. So it was very interesting that that was the first thing that I did afterwards. Mm. And I was just like, okay, this, this sounds nice. I'm going to do it. Mm. And I, I did that for yeah. mm. it was very analytical it was you know if you've met me you know that I'm a 
very a storyteller, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. you know, I'm more on the front end of things, but very data driven. I think it was supposed to hone my skills in that direction. Mm-hmm. It's almost like yes, you have your strengths, yeah. and that was what it was for me. It was a learning opportunity. I learned to use like data analysis tools, things that were not my favorite before then. Yeah, and because I I like to do well at things, put in the effort at least. Yeah, you know to work, you know to work in that organization. And yeah, that was how it was. And then the next opportunity for me was fully into logistics. Mm, yeah. So it, I, what I've heard you say is a couple of things. You know, one, the value of rest. Right. I I don't think that us as African women really do rest. And, and I, I love the fact that you said, I have gone out there, I have put in all this work, I've come home with another degree, and I'm going to rest. Instead of saying, oh, no, I'm jumping into the next thing, which is what we all usually do as African women. It's, ah, so you're just going to sit at home doing nothing. It's like people are allergic seeing African girls and African women just existing in rest. And I think for me hearing you say that you actually honored your body, honored your mind and said, hey, you know what? Instead of just jumping into the next thing, let's rest. And it wasn't a passive rest where you were just like lounging all day. It was what I like to call an active rest where you literally were resting, but you were planning what was coming up next, right? You you were creating this list of companies that you're looking for, companies that you're aiming to work at. And so I just want to encourage everybody who is listening today where you feel as though you must always be on the go. You also deserve rest because from rest comes new ideas. Our creativity is rekindled. Our mind is renewed when we actually give ourselves a chance to actually slow down and rest. So I really appreciate you sharing um, that journey with us. Additionally, what we do here on a series of ands is talk extremely candidly about finances So, and when I say finances, I mean how much money you made. I want to be very clear with people that we are asking for dollars and cents here or Naira in this case. So as you progressed from kind of like your undergrad and you got all the the additional degrees and then you started working um, at the insurance company, if you don't mind walking us through to your next job, but also making sure that you highlight like, okay, at the insurance company, I was between this and this amount or I was making 45K and I was already balling from all my degrees. They respected me and they paid me as such, or I started from the bottom, whatever it is your financial story is, I think it's important to share because we always have listeners where we know that they're thinking of themselves like, oh, I'm in undergrad what should i expect when i graduate or i admire amanda oh my god she has an episode she's sharing about her life and then you set expectations because i think as african women we don't really talk about money and that ends up biting us in the butt because we don't know what to expect when we're out there in the real world so if you also don't mind sharing a little bit about your financial journey um as you share about your work journey as well Okay, I'm I'm very um, happy to talk about my finances and then the journey from after school to you know to now. Mm-hmm. So I would say that because mm-hmm. I studied pharmacy, so at the time, almost a sort of like a minimum that you can be earning right from like right after school. Mm-hmm. So I had this compulsory one year, you could call it internship, housemanship. So there's already the compulsory one year housemanship where you're paid within a certain right. band. So now it has gotten worse because, you know, over the years, inflation and that band hasn't really been increased um, officially. So I would say that that was Mm. the first thing. I've always been good at Mm -hmm. making money, maybe not necessarily keeping it Mm -hmm. myself, (laughs) 
but making it yeah. yes, but keeping it. So it's now that I'm older that I've started to teach myself financial mm. discipline and even just learning wiser with money. But I would say that my issues have never mm. been making it. So you know, I mentioned always trying new things. You know, yeah. So for me, right school, I would I was making money from doing other things. Like I mentioned that um, earlier that I write. So I've made money from writing mm-hmm. before now. I've written proposals, mm-hmm. written even a short story. So I've made money like in school days from writing mm. before I even did anything else. Right. And there's a series of ants. So I can, like, even at some point in school, because I also, like, I like art. I like to draw. I like to spend. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend was into fashion. We're in a partnership, you know, where we were also selling our design. Oh, I love that. So it, I've always been looking for looking for money yes so i've i've always been looking and then i i I didn't grow up Mm. very rich but the thing is if someone says to me i'm always looking for okay so how can Mm. i get how can i get it and it's just always so people just like oh amanda and her one million businesses so it's it's for Mm. me in terms of like the art and then later on being able to help things like before i got to this I, i will tell you that like the perfect executive assistant or mm. personal assistant. So mm. lots of people think of making money as having a business. Sometimes supporting people who are leaders. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't have enough time to do a lot of things. So again, I'm doing it. I'm talking about making money. Right. So, but <laughs> more about the journey. Yeah. I mentioned that I I was lucky to get a start. Mm-hmm. Um, I did make it down the line by not. I'm having, uh, let's say, a benchmark to compare myself yeah. with other people in that same role. Mm-hmm. And I was going into interview and for more money, I didn't. Mm. So th- those are things that still bite me because I'm like, I'm hurt about it. Mm. You know, so that's not being able to know what your standard is. And people don't talk about money. Nobody's going to tell you why. Yeah. So that was it because this one I actually asked. What can I request for? And everyone was mute and they'd be like, oh, okay, so what did you tell them you wanted? Ah. You know, people, there's so much secrecy about money. Yeah, like, yeah. I was telling Benja just now that people might see being a founder or entrepreneurship as the easiest way to um, financial freedom. And I would mm. like to say that's not true. Mm. Um, a lot of sacrifice that you put in, a lot of um, founders, especially, mm. are even known to be like unstable, actually, because you are putting in so much your time, your energy, your finances into the business at the beginning yeah. that you're not really like, you're not only you know, living that life that people assume that founders are living. Yeah. So there's, yeah, I have this baby that I need to grow, this mm-hmm, messenger mm-hmm, baby. So mm-hmm. a lot of my time, a lot of my focus is going to go into, you know, so that um, entrepreneurship is not this magic one to becoming rich. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They're very different. Not yeah. all hard work leads to money. So I think ha. you should know that. Say, no, say it again, Amanda. Amanda out here with the real life gems. Not all hard work leads to money. Come on. Absolutely. So, so people say, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. Be very clear about what mm. it is you want. Do you want to have money or do you want to be an entrepreneur? It's, it, it can be two totally mm. separate things. So you have to know what do you exactly want. Is it being an entrepreneur? Like, the things that I love about mm. entrepreneurship, I, I I love when I employ somebody few months down the line, I can see their tangible right, growth. Right. That can also come from leading teams within institutions. So you need to be very mm. clear about what it is mm. that you want. Then at least, okay, this was 20, mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. nothing less mm-hmm. than, let's like, say, $500 a month okay, at the time. Okay. 
Uh, and yeah. you know, I mentioned that I still always did on the side. Yeah. So for sure, and I think you know, just just to sort of um, emphasize on some of the things that uh, Amanda just eloquently said, it's important. I think Benjo, you chimed in a little bit as well. It's important to understand, like you said, success is not always tied to monetary gains and monetary achievements. It's important for people to put that mm. in their mind. And like the question that was asked, like what exactly are you trying to yeah. attain here? Are you trying to look for money? Are you trying, yeah. to, are you trying to make an impact? Are you trying to uh, uh, glamorize, mm. you know, and have a celebrity visible, you know, uh, opportunity business? Or are you trying to truly solve, you know, uh, problems and create solutions to solve that problem? And I think once you define mm-hmm. what your, your your purpose and your goal is, I think that allows your passion, you know, to be strengthened so that even during those difficult moments where no money is coming in, the vision is still there, you know, and it's so mm-hmm. important. Rich and I have this conversation a lot because mm-hmm. we own, you know, a few, a few ventures and, we say this a lot, right? Sometimes we're so focused on the monetary success aspect that we don't even get to sit us take a moment and celebrate the wins, yeah. the victory that we're having, the impact that we're making, the niche that we're creating, the space that we're yeah. building, the room that we're opening, you know, in bringing, you know, um, African yeah. amazing African women voice to be amplified, you know what I'm saying, in such a, a dynamic and innovative way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's so as entrepreneurs, it's so mm. important. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? I mean, we ain't about to do no Jesus turning the five loaves and fishes and cheating, okay? We live in the real world, okay? <laughs> I need more than five, what's it five loaves and right. fishes for my life, okay? So, so even we are, so, <laughs> you know? But I think the the the, the, mm. the gem mm. here, I think both, you know, both women have said it, you know, in such amazing ways that, just to remind entrepreneurs, you're start when you're starting. Focus, like figure out what your what your purpose is, what your yeah. what your goal is, what's the outcome, the impact you want to make, and allow that to be the the center or the driving mm. force behind the business that you're building. Otherwise, you're going to lose. You know, you're absolutely going to lose because entrepreneurship yeah. is a roller yeah. coaster. You have a lot of down moments and you have peaks. You know what I'm saying? And and it takes a lot of grit and a lot. Yeah, yeah. To get through it. So yeah. So definitely, well, Amanda. Yeah. Just piggybacking off of that again, um, and moving towards um, your baby that you've mentioned a few times. You know, messenger. Can you, can you, mm-hmm. in your own words, can you let us know, like, how did messenger, you know, come about? Like, what, what sparked this idea? Um, what problem were you know were you trying to solve? You know, and and. Uh, and just let mm. us know what the business is about. Messenger was my brother's idea. Why start with that intro is that a lot of uh, founders or CEOs feel like the idea has to come mm. from them. When you're an existing founder, it might be a bit of a struggle for a lot mm. of people, but I was still um, at the end of my master's program when he came and said, oh, I want to start a business. And I said, what kind of business? Mm. And he said, um, a logistics business. And at the time, I, I was side-eyed him because you know, he's my younger brother. And you know how younger <laughs> brothers are. He tell you the nice things mm. to get your money. Mm. I just said, why logistics? I just finished studying this. Why are you saying you want to do logistics? Is this what you really want to do? Or you just want me to be excited that you're saying you want to do a logistics business because you know I just finished studying logistics. Mm. And they're like, no. And then he, he made me for it, why he wanted to go into logistics at the time. And I, I think that I was one of his first mm. investors. I started Messenger as being an investor in Messenger. So mm. I was my okay. brother's first okay. investor. He had a he had a name that I didn't like before. He, 
called the errand boy and i'm like why would you call the business <laughs> errand boy that's how the name came like it's almost the same thing messenger you're not going to say how would you want to steal errand boy right it's not catchy enough right for me. right i hear you the first set of customers um, so this was about 2018. Mm-hmm. We we're still a traditional business, and mm-hmm. at the time, not a lot of logistics in Abuja. Mm-hmm. Um, so my brother is very funny. He has wit. He gets along with people. So he started building, let's say, community on social media first. Mm-hmm. Um, so I gave him a target to get a thousand um, followers first before officially launching the business in the city. So then it was much easier to do that because of the algorithm mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. So catching the attention of students and people who live like on the outskirts of town mm-hmm. and then by the time we were ready we had um, people requesting our services so we launched around valentine's day very strategic mm-hmm. um, a lot of people were looking for partners to deliver their Come gifts on. we made a lot of jokes about mm-hmm. it to go get your flowers yeah it just it just it, it really took off very mm-hmm. quickly and within a few months, mm-hmm. already been approached for B two B partnership. Oh, nice! Yeah, it was quite interesting working with like, the largest mm-hmm. e commerce provider at the time, um, Jumia. We worked with DHL, a lot of corporates. So that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. So um, SN was running Messenger while I went on to do all my corporate sojourn in mm-hmm. the world. I was still working, um, doing advisories. Messenger has been on for what I say now mm-hmm. five years. So right from when I worked at another logistics company. Mm-hmm. So we were doing trucking at the time, so very different from mm-hmm. Messenger. So it kind of really helped with the corporate governance very mm-hmm. early on in the business, especially mm-hmm. as he was the first time founder. Mm-hmm. You know, so how we worked through that. We had a couple of years, I, I asked him, so what's my stake in your business? Mm-hmm. I'd done this unofficially. Yeah. I said, oh, what's my, what's my stake in this business? He's like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. I'm mentioning this particularly because people should understand mm-hmm. that even if mm-hmm. you're going into business with friends or with family, mm-hmm. you should have a written agreement. Mm-hmm. But then tell me that um, if you want to officially be part of Messenger, you needed an additional investment of XXXX. All the money I had given before, he assumed it was goodwill. Yeah. We complement each other mm-hmm. so well. So I could be partnerships, I could go out and sell Messenger, but when it comes to uh, the naira and the cover, the dollars mm-hmm. and the cents, or, or like the fine, fine of the agreement, I know that my brother is going mm-hmm. to go through that with a fine mm-hmm. form. Like he's going, so he's very about that. My brother is very calculated and analytical mm-hmm. about the money and the operation. So that's a good team. So I don't think that I could have done this mm-hmm. myself. So people, I see a lot of social founders, and I, I really, I really, you know, admire their mm-hmm. strength. But I've seen benefits with having a co-founder, especially one with distinct skill sets yeah. from me. So I can sell anything. And my brother will say, okay, uh, let me see. What magic do you expect me to do? <laughs> let me and, then, yeah. and then that's why it's really worked. Mm-hmm. We're, not, like, we're focused on two mm-hmm. different things. So I can be as focused as possible on growth, knowing that mm-hmm. the operations on the back end is being taken mm-hmm. care of. So I just wanted to mention that. A messenger, yes, we started as a traditional logistics business and then now we've pivoted to being a right. platform. Um, so another thing is we couldn't scale and grow as fast mm-hmm. as we wanted. But once we incorporated technology mm-hmm. in our business and started to solve the problem we had as traditional providers. Mm-hmm. So for us, 
we needed more operating um, cash. Yeah. We needed to manage our cash flow. So I'm bringing a lot of business to this mm, company yeah. and we're like, wow, okay, we have capacity. Yeah, so yeah. building that capacity was something that we saw a mm. problem. So you see that a lot of people go into this business, but you know, yeah. they drop out of it very quickly. And then these are some of the issues. Yeah. We could go on longer because you know we are very tenacious but then it's a real issue yeah. how do you access finance for assets how do you manage operations or your cash flow to you know your payment with your customer yeah. so that's what we're really addressing now so we're mm. providing asset financing to gig work logistics operators and then helping them with um, cash mm. for them to manage their operations and within a very convenient timeline yeah so that's like a weekly operations yeah. float that's what we're doing now. So all the problems we had, we had like years ago, yeah. is what we're solving now with technology. Let's delve a little bit more into that because I think, you know, we don't want to be high level here if, for example, we have some partners who are interested in investing. Um, let's talk a little bit more. Let's talk through some of those problems and how technology is actually solving them, right? Because here we're talking about a logistics platform. You're saying you're doing this end-to-end -end service that you're providing. You're also alluding to the fact that you've had problems in the past that the technology you have today is solving, right? So let's talk through what those look like. So I'll mention that what we were very good at is generating the demand and the interest from you know our customers, mm -hmm. and we needed assets and we needed legal personnel to match the demand that we mm -hmm. were getting. Very simply, we have like an Uber for deliveries, so you can come on this app and as a rider or a logistics mm -hmm. provider, be matched to the closest demand. Meaning that since I'm providing a platform as Messenger, I do not need to bear all the costs of mm -hmm. ownership. I can send commissions from um, gig workers and logistics workers that join our right, app. Right. That's such a practical way to do it, I guess. And and I'm assuming that facilitates a lot of your onboarding, a lot of your tracking all the way through because people are now able to just, oh, this is step one, step two, step three. Okay, this is easy to follow, which means it reduces your number of phone calls that, that are coming into the call center in terms of like, how do I do this? Where do I get that? It, it's crazy how technology just solved that and that also has a nice domino effect for you guys i like that you mentioned phone calls because that that's one of the things that x mean is like mm. but in nigeria we still struggle with the address system so mm. imagine mm. placing an order and like 10 times i'm on that mango tree now where's your street like i just it killed me like that's, that's something that i cannot stand yeah. and i'm in logistics yeah. we partnered with a company called smart castles mm -hmm. So we are strategically in like lockers in parts of Lagos, Abuja, and then coming soon in my hometown, mm -hmm. Uyo. Um, basically, you can order your delivery to one of our mm -hmm. smart lockers. So nobody, you don't have to, nobody has to mm -hmm. call you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to call anybody. To oh, I really like that. Wait, hold on now. I really like that because then all you have to do is say your package is delivered, like delivered to that smart locker. Then you under your mango tree can come and collect yourself to go to the smart locker itself open it and collect your package. So for you guys as the end-to-end, -end, your end is the smart locker. You don't have to now be worried about anything beyond that point. Uh, we say, sorry, I don't know how to say this in English. It makes the job easier. It, it really just makes your job much simpler that way. Yeah. That's a great partnership. That's a great partnership. 
Yeah, and then the, the good part of the revenue for us is that if you're still lazy to go to your locker, we'll still deliver your parcels. Right, 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 right. For right. an additional charge, of course, but yeah. She said, I you small, still get I your something too. on top of that. Absolutely. <laughs> and it, it's really great. So we're launching that. And it's been such a relief because now if I'd ordered something during this call, best believe somebody's going to be calling my right. phone to ask me questions. Mm. So technology has been a, a, a big mm. deal for us. I would mention that technology is expensive to maintain. You might you might wonder, so why is everyone not doing it? Because it takes a lot of um, mm. resources, expertise. It's really great to have yeah. technology, but you, you're going to yeah. have to pay for it. Just alluding to one quick thing here. So what percent would you say your business is at now in terms of B2B versus B2C? Well, in terms of revenue, we're more B2B. Okay. So 70% of our revenue comes from B2B. Mm-hmm. But in terms of customers, we have a lot of individuals, for sure, for sure. a lot of like um, smaller, the micro B two B. On the money side, B two B is our our cash cow. You know what would be interesting to know, patients, is the impact of having somebody like Messenger in your small business. Like if I'm making share butter in my house and I know that Messenger will deliver it to every single doorstep of every single customer that I have, you're not thinking like. Oh, how much money am I spending on shipping? That's like something that is actually a concrete measure for you where you're not going to be like, oh, come to my house. Even privacy-wise, even security-wise, stopping to tell people from picking up at your location to now saying, hey, I use Messenger and they'll drop it off wherever you need them to drop it off. Oh my God, I wonder how many businesses you've been able to help scale up based on the fact that you you offer this service. Uh, Just quick aside, quick aside here. Um, let's talk about fundraising. Okay, I, I was saying that I'm always very excited when our customers um, give a testimonial about mm. Messenger. It makes me very excited because most people are never 100% happy with their logistics. People only notice when things are bad. You don't notice when it's good. So when someone steps to do a testimonial, I'm really, really excited about it. Um, so that's one thing I would mention. I'm excited to talk about fundraising here because it's not very often on our podcast. We talk to somebody who has either just gotten through a funding round or can speak to that funding process or is actively in the funding process. So um, I know Messenger has gone through, at least through the couple of months that we've known each other, Amanda, I know you've gone through uh, a funding round. You've gone through some personal fundraising, some angel investing here and there. So I want you to talk to us a little bit about what that process is like for you. What surprised you the most about that process? Well, um, let me see. I'm Mm -hmm. learning, we're still on our fundraising journey. And I would say Mm -hmm. that one thing that I'm learning more and more about is that one thing that you should be particular about at the beginning is valuations. I I would say that. So um, Essen and I had to learn a lot from that. Um, in just like having yeah, our cap yeah. table and you know, being precise about everything. So everything starts even from what's the revenue, the capital mm-hmm. share between you, you and your co-founder. That first valuation affects right. how, you know, how your fundraise journey is going to go. Just describing it, I'll say that it's a, it's a very grueling journey to raise money. Emotionally tasking. Um, lots of people don't talk about it but it, it's emotionally tasking mm. um, because you're putting mm. yourself out there time and time and time again with your business and you are going to be rejected mm. more times than you're going to be accepted. I would say be very open in how you 
you learn during that process. So I would say that it was during this fundraising journey that I've made our mm, value proposition mm. become clearer at Messenger. Those who didn't invest to say, okay, wow, this is your unique selling point. Why is that not mm. in front of what you're you're talking about? It's almost like why you not you know, you don't know at first because you're speaking to yeah. so many people and people give you so much advice about okay, this is what you should do. You are re- revising your deck every ten minutes, but it was this process that made us redefine yeah. what our yeah. unique selling point is and then our position in the market. I know that a lot of people are going for unicorn status. What you need to know right, is right. what you're building is truly essential. And then taking on the disappointment, so Essen and I have had to ask ourselves like multiple times. Mm. So if we got no investment for yeah. this business, mm. would we still be doing it? Yes, we would. How will we do it so that we can maximize on the revenue mm. so we can extend our runway, whether you know, we get the funding here or not. And every time that that happens, we now have to double down in terms of marketing and actually mm. getting sales revenues from our customers. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we want to scale. So the focus has been, yes, we're raising money, but we have to yeah, make sure yeah. that we are making For sure. Money. So it's almost like that's what one of the things that we've learned. And then just being open to feedback. Like, I haven't been a sensitive yeah. Sally this whole experience. There are a lot of people that have said, no one, we're still in touch. I'll still send you a message. I'll still ask you questions. And for some people, I might continue mm-hmm. sending updates. Others, I might not. But the thing is that the feedback has gotten and we're seeing, okay, how can we improve? And then things that we're learning. You know, we've learned a lot from this journey. So I'll say that yeah. you should go into it prepared. You know, having all your dogs in a row and also being open to what you learned from the journey. Um, that's what I would say. And then just defining your niche and then seeing how you can maximize the value from that niche where you decided to play. Um, so that's what it has been. And then also learning that a lot of people just have uh, open conversations. They might not be ready to go with you now, but they want to just keep tabs and see how the business is going. Mm-hmm. So I have more friends now in the in the you know, within the ecosystem sure. and then managing relationships and what another thing that's been surprising is I speak to one person I you know I try to not end conversations with a bitter taste in anyone's mouth because what I'm surprised about is that the next time I'm like oh I, I spoke to this person they had an interaction with you so not telling people to be fake but mm-hmm. at least to be pleasant in conversations you know it goes a long way so that's that's a lot of things but I would say that it teaches you a lot. And for me, this journey has made me value yeah. my co-founder a lot more. Um, it's not a one-man go for us at Messenger. And I am very grateful for the fact that I can you know, com- completely rely on my co-founder. Yeah. So there's some calls that I can't take. And I'm very sure like there's no worry in my mind um, SN is going to be fine on that, on, on that call or sell the company or sell what our vision is. So yeah. having that unified front for us and that, you know, that clarity of vision, you know, really helps us and has helped us to, through this process. So that's, yeah, that's been great for me. So I've learned a lot. So I'm a lot different from I was, from how I was like three months ago, definitely. I find this feel so fascinating. Like, I know I sound like a doctor. But like I do, I find it so fascinating, especially when I see, you know, women truly trying to break um, into this extremely male-dominated, uh-huh. you know, um, field and arena. 
what has been a messenger's growth strategy? Like, you know, in, in tackling, mm. you know, that increase in that rise in population, that, cons- you know, consumer uh, uh, um, expansion and scal- scalability, like what has been some key growth strategy that, you know, your company is looking into or has been tapping into um, and what has been some of the, the impact, you know, around that? I have to mention that, yes, supply chain and logistics is essential, but I would say that it's not the darling um, crown jewel for investors. I just have to mention that to you. It requires like a lot of human interference and it requires a lot of like being, will I say, asset heavy in some cases um, till you branch out. Yes, it's essential, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of investors are not particularly keen on the sector. Um, because you know mm. you still have to put in. There's still the operational costs. There's still the building. There's still the there's still the human element involved in logistics. So for me, on an impact side, I can say that for Messenger since inception, we've um, employed over 200 people. So that's a great thing for us. Um, it's over 200 people are passed through Messenger as DB personnel. One of our testimonies is that we can say, oh, this person was a rider. He did this for a year. Go back to school because we made money working for Messenger. So on the impact side of things, really great. We're able yeah. to employ people, um, pay above yeah. minimum wage and even create opportunities where they earn, you know, incentives and bonuses to take care of their families. So there's the impact side of things. And now, yes, we're mm. a population, we're also a population that is facing high rates of unemployment. Yeah. Mm. So if you notice, mm. um, because of that, most Africans are involved in trade. So trade and logistics mm-hmm. and transport are inexpensive linked so they're all linked so as more people trade they're going to need that fulfillment element for, for how to finally get to their customers mm. so for us the sector is growing we see the potential and it's not yet saturated because even the demand is not being fully satisfied or being satisfied or set up in an effective or efficient manner so there's a lot of opportunity mm. here um, i would say that we need mm. more people who are interested in this sector to actually grow it um, properly the way it should. It's not, it, it's very different from all the other sectors, I would say that, but it requires a lot of patient capital to actually see through, you know, it's not, it's going to take some time for us to have the right um, infrastructure, mm-hmm. for us to have the right um, assets, the right people right. in place. There's a lot of training and retraining, and then yeah. there's a lot. The um, regulations mm. is, a, is a real concern uh, in the logistics, especially last yeah. mile, um, do you have you need a license to go here? You need this to do this. So there's a lot of factors that surround the logistics mm-hmm. sector. And what I would say that yeah. I pray you know, happens in the near future is that more people are interested in actually building and growing out this sector. So it's not well, I'm right. raising mm-hmm. money, but it, it's very different from other sectors or services that rely and um, basically just on software. Yeah. So and just um just following. A little bit onto the gender angle of this. My next question, uh, pretty much, mm-hmm. gets to the, the gender um, aspect of, of the industry, and we've been saying it throughout the show how male dominated uh, this field is. And I think, as a woman, you have to have a lot of like I don't even know how you deal with it, like the patience that you have to have to be mm-hmm. in such a crazy field. Um, it takes a lot of sort of mm-hmm. foresight and just vigilant execution, I would think, and and maybe. A, a, some empathy, right? Uh, to truly be right, like right, a force right. to be reckoned with as a woman in this sort of industry. So, just mm. you, you yourself in your business with um, Messenger, what do you think? What is your niche that you've, you know, as a, as a woman that you've brought into, you know, into 
this company mm. that you that you front face uh, that you have, and, and how how has that been receptive in your context? You know, because even though mm. your brother came up with the idea, I think you guys are strategic in if I collect correctly to making you the CEO, sort of front facing yeah. of that business. So how how has that been? What is the impact of you being mm-hmm. the CEO? Very interesting. I'm just thinking about that. So for mm. For us, we never really thought about it like, oh, okay, this is a male-dominated field. So I do have um, cases and situations to wonder, oh, you know, you're you're the logistics person here. Like, how how does that work? Well, the truth is, I feel that excellent work ah. precedes gender. So if you're doing a great work, people are going to forget whether you're a man or not. That's the truth. So you have a lot of people that have. You know, created things or invented things. Nobody remembers that they're women. See, that's really exciting to me. That's really exciting. It's kind of obnoxious that Kanye West said. <laughs> when someone asked him what he wanted to be remembered for, he said he wanted to be forgotten. Um, that nobody remembers mm. who who invented the sidewalk. When you invent <laughs> something that is so useful that people think that it was always there. So that's how I go gender thing. If you do such a good job, nobody's going to remember that mm. it's like one of the female pioneers would be like, okay, now logistics. What, what do you mean logistics? Oh, I, I'm, I'm telling something. It gets good 15 minutes. But I would say me being a female CEO, um, it, it helps with conversations. I'm better as a front-facing than my brother would. I'm a better orator. So that's one of the And, you know, we figured that this worked better for both of us, and then that's how we did it. But coincidentally, in Nigeria, uh, right now, like I said, the headlines for logistics are um, mostly women. So we have shortlets, we have feds, you know, in logistics right now. So that's so that's one of the things that's happened. I love that, and I promise this is my last question. I'm gonna pass the collection plate to Sister Benja to you know to finish the sermon. <laughs> so my question to you, my last question to you, pretty much is um, obviously you know COVID, you know global pandemic, you know create a lot of complex right. you know issues uh, for a lot of various industries and fields. And I'm sure it was a it was a great one for logistics um, in terms of the benefits that you guys got that came with that how was messenger able to navigate during the global pandemic and you know and what was the impact in terms of the growth of your business so to be to be very honest um pandemic was good for us the lockdown was good for us more people stayed at home so we needed deliveries and it really allowed us innovate you know um, really think about how better can we do this we did have a lot of competition come Mm. up in that time people had to um create waivers for Mm. logistics so it was that period that was really like the shining moment for supply chain and logistics. Mm. Now people cared about how tissue paper was going to get to the supermarket shelves. Like nobody ever mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. supply chain and logistics in such a strategic manner until the pandemic lockdown. Yeah, and it helped us, you know, streamline our processes. That's when we started thinking about the technology. Mm. Um, having less, you know, human interface between things. How can we make it more seamless? So that's when we started to think about all of these things. Um, just at that point. So I think sometimes some incidences or experience are more like, uh, will I say, a, a springboard for, for certain industries. And that's what the pandemic was for the district. Yeah. And just a quick follow-up. Just a quick follow-up. I remember, what was some of the creative things you did? Because And correct me if I'm wrong, because I remember you was leading like various workshops and news articles and news um articles you know for messenger so can you can you just like expand on the creativity and how you tapped into 
the different expertise you had, you know, and you contributed to that sort of visibility for the company and the growth during such a complex, you know, time. During the pandemic, everyone was home. That's when I started to really build out my thought leadership in this space. So I started to host like webinars about logistics, about last mile deliveries. Um, that was a very interesting time because a lot of another industry that was really picking up at the time was like um, e-learning. You know, there was there were like so many things that people were learning online. Very silly, well, not silly, but like almost everything was a topic that we taught. Offer webinars and courses on last mile logistics, and then helping people to set up their own, um, you know, last mile delivery logistics businesses. So that was something I did. I always pointed to Messenger at the end. You know, we do this, you, you might not want to start your own business, but you could partner with Messenger. So that was really great for our sales as well. And it was something good for me. as well. I, I was more like a teacher. So it had its talk times, and I think that's why I could really just focus on creating and then doing what I could and, you know, going on lives and interacting with people how, how best I could. So you've really been able to paint a really good picture for us with regards to what um messenger is doing at the moment how successful your team has been the challenges of fundraising however i haven't heard you really talk about if you've about whether or not you've run into any issues with regards to the fact that your name is messenger and we all who have iphones have the messenger app i'm wondering if you've ever run into any issues with either Apple or with any of the other people who tie Messenger to their name and what that journey has been like for you guys to assert yourself in this Nigerian space as Messenger. Benja, why are you snitching? Eh? Maybe, maybe they, they haven't realized yet that there's a Messenger in Nigeria. <laughs> nah, nah, I bet you they know. They know. I'll be first. So like, it's one of the things that you learn with your first startup. So maybe there's still more you know, ahead for it's in an eye. But what I would say is that mm-hmm. we have creative ways around it. So on the app store at iOS, we are getmessenger.ng mm-hmm. because Messenger is such a, you know, it, it's, it was later on that we realized because we spelled it properly. Uh, we didn't try to deviate with like the spelling is something we should have thought about and we didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, Messenger is mm-hmm. the first half of our full corporate name, um, but we decided to be free. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so we we have a full name, but it's to, for just like branding purposes, you know, it's Messenger. So on the apps, it's Get Messenger. So yes, we did this at the beginning, especially with um, classifications. Mm-hmm. You go to the to the app and you're looking for Messenger, you might find it under like chat. Um, chat chat applications or messaging apps. Right, 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 right. And then what mm-hmm. helped was that there was a number of downloads that we've actually had. So because of that, we, mm. we were getting lots of downloads. People were actually using um, some like Google functionalities in terms of the maps and all of that on the app. So we, we've been able to, right. um, I think we're like number 14 in terms of, I think, logistics app. Oh, nice. But then I think the more we got people to, you know, you know, download and use the app for what it's really for that helped us yeah so that's that's what i would say so yes we learned that later on um, oh yeah let me see so it's uh, so now we're on like chats for for um like say gps location tracking and things like that it's, yeah it's it's slowly streamlining yes it is no i'm a, i'm i'm glad that at least 
you know, that that is something that you guys can talk about as a talking point with regards to, hey, this is where we started. Later on, learned that, oh, wait, <laughs> red flag here that we should have caught early on, but this is how we've pivoted. And I think there's a lesson to that in the sense that a lot of times we think we need to have all the pieces perfectly put together for us to start, right? There are always going to be mistakes. I think that's why, you know, I, I try to emphasize as we talk to different founders that it's not going to be a linear pathway to success here. Your name is literally tied to exactly who you are in terms of your brand identity. And the name Messenger also has additional connotations. And so how you navigated that, especially in how you've shared, I think is really, really essential for people to see that, hey, yeah, we we definitely recognize that this was a hurdle, but it was it, it was more of like a molehill and not a mountain that we had to overcome. So I, I really do appreciate you sharing that information. Um, so it's definitely not a linear process. And that's why I, I joked that maybe with our second startup, we would um, save ourselves a lot of the hassles that we faced with, you know, this first this first rodeo. But definitely you learn as you build. You, you definitely wouldn't have everything figured out from day one. When I was going through your profile, Amanda, what I did see was that you guys are part of the Baobab network. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what this network is and... Um, what does your being part of them entail? So I would say that the Baobab Network gave us our first check ever. I've said, um, I've talked about leveraging opportunities. So it wasn't the first time that we applied that we got into the Baobab Network. But right. like I said, taking feedback from each session. Mm-hmm. The first time we had applied, we didn't go through, but mm-hmm. uh, we had gotten into top 50 of Africa's business heroes. So it was easier to revisit the conversation and say, oh, hey, we spoke and then that's another thing that I would say mm. I really like about Isin and I is that we keep learning from the feedback and we keep improving so go back to the world from the last time we spoke this we've, we've, um, we've addressed this and this and this and you know this is what we're doing now this is our attraction because um, it was three months after this is our tra- attraction now this is what we've been able to improve and they're like oh great uh, and it was it was because mm. they had spoken to us three months ago they had seen where we were where mm. we got after three mm. months so it was easier for them to say hey i like you guys like you know come on in yeah so that's how it, it was for the barbab mentor so they were our first check so it was at the point where we decided that we needed to leverage on technology and we were raising funds to build out our technology so neither sn or i are like technical co-founders so we needed the funds mm. to have like an engineering team up and running. And now that's one of the things mm. we be proud of. Like we have an in-house tech team. We have a CTO and the love being mm. added like regularly. And it, it's just very exciting to see from you know when they invested mm. like where we are right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really cool because I know um the importance of having that initial funder that believes in the idea because even if i'm not going to put the money down on it for the door to always be open for you to come back i think it's so essential especially on the continent with young found with that with young founders who are still thinking through their idea and and you know refining it as you're going to know that at least hey we we formed enough of a connection that the door is open if we need to come back so i really do um 
acknowledge the Baobab Network and what they've been able to do for a lot more founders, you know, including yourselves. Um, I wonder if you can talk to us a little bit about something you made allusion to um, at the beginning, where you talked about um, the African Free Trade Agreement. You really seemed to be passionate about it and about the fact that it's something that needs to to take place within your lifetime. Talk to us about how this Africa Free, Africa Free Trade Agreement plays a part with regards to global supply chain um, and also with regards to how it boils down to customer experience and, and how we as individuals interact with uh, within the supply chain itself. Okay, so currently, without even giving like accurate data, Africans trade more mm. rest of the world than they do with other Africans, mm. and that's because of the networks just getting something from me in Nigeria to you in Liberia might be a harder process than getting it just to London. And then the best way to do this mm. actualize what after the agreement is about, which is free uh, movement, um, a reduction in the restrictions of movement between you know for goods and human beings. We want people to be able to move freely within Africa. We want goods to be able to move freely. So as as long as trade continues to rise, then there has to be an investment in the infrastructure and then in the companies that offer the logistics services. Mm. So that's essentially it. Um, yeah. And it's something that I, I want to actualize yeah. or I want to actualize in my lifetime because then it's easier for me to sell to you in Liberia. Mm. It's easier for me to sell to you in your own country. And then we're mm. all like one Africa earning from different markets. It's going to do a lot in terms of the um, earning power for even people. So you don't have to sell to only people within your country. So it's a whole opening up the market size rather than focus on mm. just individual countries. In everything that we've talked about today, you know, we've we've talked through your journey, we've talked through some of the highs and the lows that you've had to go through. Um, how do you define success? Um, honestly, success for me um, will be leaving like a legacy, or that that's what it will be for me. Um, mm. Be leaving a lasting impact. Mm. Money is nice, but mm. there's a fulfillment I I get when we close out something or when we, you know, when like, so like now just sometimes like if I'm having a bad day, I just look, look back at the milestones that we've had, like from early to date. And it's never mm. about, oh, let me check the money that we have or let me buy myself something. So for me, it's just looking back, I'm like, wow, we actually did this. You know, just that impact and just what we've been able to achieve. Mm. That's success for me. I want you to tell us about your event that you recently had at Aquaibom. Am I saying that correctly? Please. I'm so surprised that like I haven't talked about it. I, 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 have, I, got I you. have more restraint. So basically, mm. if you're familiar with Nigeria, you're very familiar with mm. Lagos or you're familiar with Abuja. So a lot of the opportunities go to these two cities. And there's more to Nigeria. Nigeria has 36 mm. states and a capital city. I am from Aquaibom and I've joined a network of, you know, um, like-minded people who are, you know, who have a vision to, or a mandate to shape the mm-hmm. technology ecosystem in that state. So that's what we want to, to democratize opportunities for people who live there, meaning that they can be local right, and still right. have access to global opportunities. Mm. Everything just goes to Lagos, but we want people to be able to succeed regardless of, you know, where they're from or where they're working with. And we yeah. found that a lot of founders like myself mm. are actually from Aquaibom. 
beautiful. And it's a beautiful state. Um, we have a beach. Like, it's really beautiful. That's one of the most um, peaceful mm. states. It has all the infrastructure in Nigeria. So we're saying, come to mm. Nigeria. Come to Akwaibom. Mm. Like, come to Uyo. Come like, on. And our food is the best. Best people. And then, you know, tech doesn't have to be done in, we like, say, um, you know, in, in a very, right. it can be done in a beautiful city. Right. And that's what we're trying to create. So first, we're inviting people to in the talent that we have mm. and the innovators from the region. And then from there, we're going further in building, um, let's say, a, um, a talent pipeline from the region. So we're training and upskilling wow. um, tech talent from there to be exported to different parts of the country, Nigeria and the world. So that's the vision ah. for the Aquaibom Tech Week. So yes, it's uh, October 30, October 30 to November 3rd. I'm mm. very, very, very excited about it. Like, I, like you know, Binja said, you talk to me three months and then like, oh, guess what? I'm doing this. Mm. The convener for this year's Aquaibo Tech Week. And then it's been a really exciting journey. So Amanda, you've been such a great sport and we're super excited because we, I promise we're going to be ending this African church service very soon. <laughs> and you know, as a businesswoman, you wear many hats, you know, day to day, ensuring that your day to day operations move smoothly, mm-hmm. you know, troubleshooting, turning off fires. So that comes with a lot of stress. How do you incorporate self-care um, in your day to day? And what does self-care sort of looks like for you? Um, and so also, Bridget and I as this, are the self-proclaimed ambassadors of the soft girl and baby girl lifestyle. Me, Jesus did not die for us to be suffering in poverty. And that's on period. Okay, so that is on period. Okay. Because the last supper he was feasting. So we we ourselves deserve <laughs> to feast soft girl baby girl life for us. So we want to know what does the soft girl, baby girl and self-care lifestyle looks for boss babe Amanda? So first off, I really value like my friendships and my family. So mm-hmm. most evenings, I me hanging out with my friends. So I I like to dance. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, but I still <laughs> whenever I have your opportunity. Um, you take me somewhere dancing. That's one thing for sure. And then just spending time with my friends. Like we can just um, so a lot of my friends are in this startup journey as well. So we're going to catch up. We're going to have. Uh, maybe we'll have drinks, we'll have something to talk about, and we're just laughing. So it's almost like I don't take myself too seriously. Like, work is work. Like, work is work, but I also mm. I my enjoyment, like you said. So I prioritize, like, mm. because I, I feel like a lot of people think there's some medal being known as this workaholic that's always working and always been on the move. Like, some people, that's their personality. Mm. Like, they have pleasure in being known as that person always working. I don't think so. I... I, I value my relationships and I think that that's something that you need to put in equal amount of work into the same way that you do into your career and into earning money. So I enjoy my people. Uh, I, I would definitely say that I enjoy my people. Mm. I think that people put so much effort into work. They don't put effort into other relationships. So mm. I have, like, I'll call mm. you, like, mm. my schedule, like, people to call on certain days and things to do. Some Sundays I spend it with my best friend and her daughter. Just, you know, we just we spend a lot of time just talking and enjoying each other's company. So it's, it's really important to me to do that. Again, you know, I yeah. do business with my my brother, so I'm very um, family oriented. So I don't feel like work is the entirety of your life. Yeah, I don't think so. Even though yes, I want to leave a legacy. I want to be remembered for what I've done. Yeah. So like, 
I, I want to, even in my life, like I, I feel like I bring a lot of value to people who I actually spend time with. Yeah. So it's not just, oh, she's, she's working. She's always, you know, I want people to actually get to enjoy being around me. Yeah, that's how I see it. I love that. I love that. Um, so what excites you or inspires you the most about African women, Amanda? African women are resilient. Like, mm. like sometimes I, I'll talk about something with my friend. I'm like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this. She's like, do you know how women are? Like, women can do almost anything. And mm. she says that so casually, but it's the truth. Like, a lot mm. of households have been managed by women. Lots of people don't admit that. But a lot of things, like, women are the backbone for this whole society. And... It's very inspiring. I, I just see what a lot of women have achieved. And I'm like, I want to do that. I know when I spoke about people who I'm inspired by, I mentioned women. And it's not because I'm being sexist or anything. It's just, it's easier for me to see myself in them. And that's just what, it's just representation for me. Like seeing that oh, this person could do that. So that means I can. And then somebody else would be able to do more because they've seen what I can do. For sure, absolutely. Amanda, it's been such a it's been such a pleasure getting to know you and just like following your journey and all the exciting things that you have coming up and just the gems that you've dropped along this episode for not just Benja and myself but our you know our global audience. So we definitely appreciate that. Uh, before we close out, could you let us know or share with our audience like, your social handles, um, where they can connect with you, how they can learn more about uh, Messenger, and how they can uh, contact you as well. Okay, so I use Amanda on all my social media platforms. So I'm very much a millennial. I'm not on TikTok, but I'm Amanda Etuk or <laughs> on LinkedIn, Amanda then Etuk is E T U K. Um, that's LinkedIn, Twitter, Amanda Etuk as well, Instagram, Amanda Etuk. Yeah, so that's that's where you can find me: LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. TikTok, not so much. Where can we find Messenger? Messenger or NG, actually. So it's easier to find messenger through any of my any of my any of my social links. I'm evangelizing for messenger. Gotcha. I love it. I love it. We have added show notes below for differently able listeners to enjoy. Or if there was something you missed, you can find them in the description box below. So there you have it. Another African woman showing us that we're all a series of ants. So go on and be all you can be. Bye.